Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and thankfully, we have some wonderful people helping us along the way. I remember as a child learning that you turn off the faucet while brushing your teeth. You close the refrigerator quickly and turn off the lights when you leave the room. Little things, and they needed to be taught because otherwise, I admit, I hadn't thought much about leaving the tap on, standing in front of the open fridge for minutes, figuring out what I wanted to eat, or leaving on the lights in every conceivable room. I've needed to teach it to my kids too, but of course they sometimes forget. I'm probably more often than I'd like to admit. Sometimes protecting the earth isn't the first thought that comes to mind when you're standing in the shower, letting the hot water fall on your head and back. For some, climate change might feel distant, like something happening elsewhere, but not right here at home. Although this seems to be changing a bit, many families all over the world have found that climate change has begun to touch their lives. Deadlier wildfires, increasingly crazy weather, additional information of melting ice caps on the nightly news, information coming to us through news anchors as well as out of the mouths of younger and younger activists that are demanding awareness and action. My own children have quoted information from weird but true books and nature documentaries about what's going on with their polar bears and tropical forests. The truth is we are all feeling the effects and we are all contributing to the effects of climate change. And we are also able to help solve the problem. Of course, this means we must have the discussions that can bring about the change. It starts with opening our mouths and our hearts so that we can lay it all on the table. How do we give our children the facts about climate change from discussions of fossil fuels to fluctuating animal habitats to sustainable and destructive energy sources so that they are in the know? And how can we as families alter how we live our lives in small, consistent ways that will help create a healthier future for our loved ones? We need a climate revolution and it starts at home with us. Now, I have turned to Mary DeMocker, who is going to tell us all about climate change and her new book, The Parent's Guide to Climate Revolution, 100 Ways to Build a Fossil-Free Future, Raise Empowered Kids, and Still Get a Good Night's Sleep, is a finalist for the 2019 Oregon Book Award and has been featured on the Yale Climate Connections and recommended on NPR and in the New York Times. Mary writes and speaks wildly and wildly about parenting in a changing climate. 
helping parents, educators, clinicians, and young people find a positive role in the global transition to clean energy futures. She lives in Eugene, Oregon with her husband and sometimes her son, a freshman in college. His sister is already graduated from college last year and is a teacher. And I want to thank you, Mary, for joining us today on how to talk to kids about anything. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. Before we launch into this discussion, which is so interesting and so meaty and so necessary, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you, to read your book, would you take a moment to tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so passionate about climate change and creating a climate revolution among parents and families? Yeah, that's a great question. It's actually pretty much the same thing. What gets me up in the morning are my kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And what gets me writing every day are my kids. Because I love them so much and I would do anything for them. I think most parents would. We would take a bullet or give them a kidney or um, we spend all of our time, you know, raising them from the time that they're in our wombs. We're trying to give them the best and the healthiest you know, food and information and lifestyle. So I've spent 23 years doing that. And I now am parenting at this different level because my kids are, you know, newly gone and I'm working at this higher level, right? It's how do we ensure that they have a healthy world? Mm, Really important information. And, you know, we all love our children so very much. We want them to have the best And you're right. When you think about, of course, I'm going to give them a kidney and I'm going to make sure they have a warm jacket. We often don't move our thoughts to climate change right away because for many people, it's not touching their lives right off the bat. But we are starting to see that we're talking a lot about wildfires and and really scary sounding hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and droughts and rising sea levels and the extinction of favorite animals, which is a very sore point for my daughter. So can you talk to us about some of the worries or the fears children bring to parents or teachers about the environment? Yeah, they have a lot of fears and they're justif- they're justified in their fears. They're they're wondering, am I going to be okay? Mm. Where am I going to go if my house catches on fire? Mm-hmm. You know, thousands of children have lost their homes to fire in the last couple of years or or to floods. And where are the animals going to go? Are the animals going to die? And some of them asks ask when they get older. I remember my son asking this don't adults care about what happens to us? Mm. Why aren't you adults fixing the climate? Mm, mm, Yes, absolutely. It can feel very confusing to young people who can see it so plainly, and it's explained so plainly that, that we're in need of making these changes, and yet there's so much uh, to it about actually making the changes on a global scale. Before we before we get into some of the nitty gritty, if a child was to ask their parent tonight, what is climate change? And just starting there, how would you answer that in simple terms? Well, it 
I guess it depends on the child's age. So let's say that it's a pretty young child, because I think most of the older ones at this point have a, a basic sense. It might not be accurate and detailed, but let's start with a young child. So they, they've heard about it, they're, they're um, wondering about it, and the, the simplest thing I think that we can say to explain what's really kind of a, it's a, it's a pretty complicated concept, right? The simplest explanation we can give them about the science is to say there are some things that people do that are creating pollution, and it goes up into the air, and it creates this kind of a blanket around the whole earth. And it's, it's a problem because it's heating the earth and it's changing the weather and it's changing where animals go. But I always pair that information for them. If I'm going to give them the science, I also give them some sense of empowerment and hope and we've got a solution. So in telling them that, I would also say there are lots of people working on this and some of them are even kids and you can be part of working on this solution if you want to be. Mm-hmm. So how can we go further with given that kids can get scared and there there's an anxiety is on the rise for a lot of our kids. And mm-hmm. it's still vital that we talk about climate change. Clearly, we're thinking about the future. We're thinking about getting them involved as you're talking about. So what besides the scientific information you just gave just the simple idea of this blanket over the earth what else in terms of good science-based information should we be giving our kids without burdening them or frightening them about the floods and the fires and everything else that's going on yeah i think the the scientific information that we can give them has to be accurate and that's one of the big challenges for parents and teachers and clinicians and anyone who's working with children these days um, and talking about the climate is where's the accurate information. So I actually point people to um, to a couple of websites. One of them is Yale Climate Connections. That's super helpful because it not only has up-to-date information about the problems and the science, but it also has a lot of the innovations and the solutions. Another good one is GRIST. G-R-I-S-T. And again, that's, you know, some of it is short and and it's, the science isn't heavy in it. It kind of tells you, well, here are the changes that have been made in France. They just banned, you know, fracking. Or here are some things that you can do at home. And, and they call it the beacon and the smog. So the beacon is the good news. And you can just read that if you, if that's about all you can take on a particular day. And then the bad news is called the smog. So you can kind of get, okay, here are some of the challenges. Um, another one is is Climate Wire, so people can just find the information that works for them and for their lifestyle. Whether it's a book um, like Drawdown, that's a great one for older kids and their parents, because it has a hundred different ideas for how scientists are actually addressing these issues, not only to slash our emissions, but to actually draw down the carbon that's in the atmosphere already. And that's a concept that a lot of people, you know, including me, didn't really have a couple of years ago was, oh, you mean the pollution that goes up can actually be brought back down and kind of locked into the soil and into trees and, um, you know, not only prevented from going up there, but brought back down to earth, bring it home. Mm-hmm. So that's that's another great resource. So finding good resources that are up to date, that are telling young people the truth about 
you know, that it's human-caused climate disruption at this point, and that there are human solutions. So one of the things that you just mentioned was fracking. So if, if a, a child said, wait a second, what's that? What would you answer? I would say, well, I don't know exactly everything about fracking. Let's look, let's see if we can find out together. So anything where I'm not sure about the answer myself, mm-hmm. I say, let's find some good resources. And I would look at those sources I mentioned. Let me give you another thing that people can do is look at, actually on my website, there is a kind of a kid-friendly four-page graphic novel style cartoon about coal and oil and gas and why they're a problem. And my my 19 year old niece actually drew it. So we worked pretty hard to give something like what you're talking about. What do we look at? How do we how do we turn this complicated climate problem that's so overwhelming and confusing into a story? So I basically tell a story in this in this four page cartoon that's in the middle of my book, but it's also now on my website so that people can can get a sense of how to tell the story or how to look at those uh, cartoons with young people. Mm-hmm. So that's another option for them is to, to check that out under resources on my website. And in terms of the fracking uh, issue, that one is another story that I would tell. If I were going to actually give the science myself, I would say in the past, people drilled for natural gas and it was easier to get until about 10 years ago, people did, you know, this this traditional drilling, and that's what we use in a lot of our appliances. But now people are doing fracking, which kind of cracks open the earth, and all of this methane escapes. And methane is just as bad for the environment as carbon. We hear a lot about carbon. But again, it's a, a poisonous gas to our atmosphere that's being released by fracking, And then a lot of the chemicals that are in fracking in that process are actually getting into our water. They're getting into the water table. And, you know, I wouldn't give this to a younger child. I would give this to, you know, middle school or older child, maybe fifth grade and up. Because that's a little bit scary to hear about, wait, there's this poison, you know, being put into the atmosphere or there's, there's toxins being put into our water. But one of the things that older kids, I think, need to understand that very few parents even understand at this point and educators is how much water is being used to track at this point, millions of gallons of water. Mm. And that's that's why it's important for us to really notice that because often I feel like I'm really worried about, you know, how long my shower was. And yes, it's important for us to you know, take take care that we're not using too much water or wasting it. But we also have to notice that some industries are, are using millions of gallons of water to do something that's not healthy for the earth. Wow. So just to kind of kind of put that in perspective when we're thinking about, well, what action should I take and, and why it's important to know about how much water is being wasted and used to extinction by fracking. Hmm. So I know that I know that's not as simple. Maybe you wanted a simpler answer. No, I think that's but- actually really helpful. I think that's very helpful to be able to answer questions like that. And I, I think that the idea of knowing some of this terminology, even if you pare it down um, for a younger child and, and be able to say, 
you know how the dentist drills in your teeth if they find a cavity. We also sometimes drill in the earth in order to get some energy for our appliances. And a couple years ago, it was okay. We were only going so far, but now we're going very deeply. And when we go very deeply, this gas escapes and it's causing a problem. And it's not good for our earth. And here are some of the problems that are happening with it. And if you compare it down to those kinds of images, it makes it so these kids are able to understand it. I think we need to give our kids some credit to, you know, they can always ask more questions, but they can understand, oh, we're, we're drilling too far. We've, we've done this too much. We're using too much water. And here are some things we can do to help. So I appreciate that kind of thing so that people can understand it better. Um, what do we do about the fact that a lot of the comforts of home and travel, like we've gotten extremely used to, we've gotten used to air conditioning and heat, bigger cars, more screens, more meat, more processed foods, new designer clothes. One of the chapters that you have in your book is related to what we can give up and giving up pleasures is challenging for many people as we've become reliant on on many of them and they make life easier or more comfortable so being honest here our behavior does seem to affect the environment if we are looking at how our families and communities are existing so how might adults empower kids of different ages to take positive action that will actually make a difference yeah, I think the, the main thing is to start small. So maybe maybe you want to start at home. Maybe you want to set up a family challenge. Maybe you can say, all right, let's try to cut our food waste this month by, you know, whatever seems realistic. Maybe it's only 5% if you're really overwhelmed that month or there's final exams or something. Maybe it's 25%. You know, have a conversation with the kids and see what what do you want to do? What sounds fun to you? Do we want to try meatless Mondays? Do we want to try composting? Do we want to try, you know, civic action? Do we want to do something at home that we can really feel successful at? So I think the key is to keep it small at first and then celebrate the victory. Like, wow, we got a compost bucket and we finally learned how <laughs> what goes in it and what doesn't go in it and we've done it for one whole month now do we want to try something else do we want to try to cut our driving you know one day a week and then maybe next month two days a week or do we want to try to um you know buy only used clothes this year when we do back to school shopping and that was something that really inspired my own kids was to was to be unleashed in the secondhand store with with a budget and told that basically they could fill up two bags and we'll get a lot more clothing for the amount of money that we're going to be spending and that'll give you more options you know that'll expand your closet if it's used you know you get a lot more for your money so what are the things that are fun what are the things that your family wants to do and what do your kids want to do depending on who they are and how old they are and what kind of things excite them so one of the things you mentioned was this idea of reducing food waste, what are some ways that one might do that if they said, oh, okay, that's an idea. We can we can reduce food waste. What, what would you say are maybe three things that would help to do that? 
Well, the first thing is not to throw away food that's perfectly good. A, a lot of times um, we think that our food is bad because there are date stamps mm-hmm. that are on the food. And it turns out, you know, while researching the book, I discovered that those date stamps don't actually have any basis in reality and in terms of the health of the product. They're just manufacturers' kind of guesstimation of when food might taste the best. So I think the, the first is to understand the date stamps and that you can eat food past the date stamp, mm. particularly if it's crackers or something. If it's you know if it's dairy or meat, you want to just use your nose and mm-hmm. and and your eyes and see if there's something orange on on your sour cream. You might want to <laughs> yeah. be careful. But you know, so I'm, I'm more cautious with with animal products. But in general, you can ignore those date stamps on food. Mm. So that's that's one thing okay. is to look at the date stamps. Another is to just try to think about ways that you can use the food that you have already in your kitchen, already in your your refrigerator. So older kids might like the challenge of, hey, can you make a meal without us going shopping today? We have a lot of food in the house. I know it's not necessarily your favorite food for tonight, but can we make it a challenge and have, you know, can we invent something together or can you guys do it on your own and make a meal from what we already have? Mm. And another is, I've heard about an app. I don't have this yet, but you can... I guess check the contents of your refrigerator while you're at the grocery store and see whether you actually already have a bag of carrots so you're not buying stuff that's going to go rotten. Mm. Oh, that's a really interesting app. (laughs) I like that (laughs) idea. Okay, so those are some good ideas of what we can do. I'd love to go through a few key areas where you talk about in your book enlisting the help of your kids to make changes in in these ways and sort of coming across uh, off of what we were just discussing and like sort of just giving some quick, you know, a couple of sentences on on each thing so that parents have some great ideas that they can do tonight and, and, and some good explanations. So you mentioned in your book going on a search for palm oil products in your house house uh, why would you do this and how might it help? Yeah, we had fun with that one. It turns out that palm oil is really destructive to the planet, unfortunately. And we went on a search to see how much of it was in our cosmetics and how much of it was in our our um, processed foods. There are a lot of processed foods like crackers and um, now in ice creams and in, and dog foods and um, and shampoos, it's, they're kind of everywhere. And sometimes they're listed as vegetable oil. So it's a little trickier. Mm. But the reason that we need to be kind of vigilant about palm oil is that what's happening in um, some of the tropical countries in Asia and Malaysia and in Africa is that important tropical forests are being slashed they're being cut down and all that carbon is being released into the atmosphere. And then palm oil plantations are being planted. So that's what's happening worldwide because the demand for, for this kind of vegetable oil is rising. Mm. Unfortunately, it also means that not only are we cutting down important forests that are storing massive amounts of carbon, we're also finding that they're burning the ground around those forests, which have all kinds of carbon in the peat underneath. And some of those fires go for years. You can even see the smoke 
in the atmosphere. If you're in outer space, there are cameras that satellite cameras that show the smoke. Mm. Uh, that's how much this is being, you know, how much devastation is happening on a global level and how big it is. And the third thing that's happening that really upsets kids when they find out about it is that orangutans and a lot of other animals, but particularly orangutans, which are bigger and sweet and, you know, kind of our, our primate ancestors or, or at least, you know, distant cousins, mm -hmm. those are being pushed to extinction. Every time one of those beautiful tropical rainforests, it's this living, breathing, you know, ecosystem is slashed and then this monoculture is being planted, the animals have nowhere to go. Mm. And we're, we're finding that the orangutans are really suffering and dying at, a, at an alarming rate. So that's why, you know, I have that chapter in the book about, you know, seeing if there are other ways, other ways we can eat, other ways we can shop so that we're not being part of that um, devastation. Mm. So well said. Thank you for explaining that so well. All right, planting trees. Why and how can this help? Planting trees is so much fun for young people, and it's so important right now. Trees are an incredible, low-cost, low-tech solution to the climate crisis. They basically suck in uh, the pollution that we are putting out into the atmosphere. It's, it's a really good atmospheric cleansing, you know, like a scrubber mm. machine. And... It also offers shade, it offers wildlife habitat, it offers soil stability. You know, trees and forests offer water retention. So any place that we can get plants in the ground and we can take these barren or, you know, places that are drying out, any place we can put trees, put plants is good for that environment, but it's also really good for the climate because it cleans our pollution. Mm. Oh, excellent. All right. Now you just mentioned this sort of doing the thrift store finds and, and wearing clothes and getting, I'm, I'm sure, sports equipment and everything else from thrift stores. Why and how can this help? Yeah, I think one of the things that's happened, you know, in the last 20 years or so is that we've had a lot more awareness of how what, what we call fast fashion is really environmentally difficult. It's you know, this idea of getting a new prom dress, getting a new outfit, you know, a lot of new outfits for school, a lot of, you know, having these huge supersized closets now that, you know, makes us want to fill them when we buy a house with, with closets that are as big as, you know, bedrooms used to be, walk-in closets. There's a sense that, oh, we need to have more, we need to have outfits for everything. And while it's important to have the clothes that you need to function in your life, I think we really want, people are starting to really reassess, how many clothes do I really need? Mm -hmm. And what is it doing to the earth? A lot of these clothes are actually creating, you know, the, the, the microfiber fabrics, you know, the, the, like the fleece jackets and the yoga pants. A lot of those, when they're washed, are putting micro pellets of plastics into our oceans at this really alarming rate. Mm. So one of the things we can do is just be mindful about what kind of clothing we're buying, what's it made of. And oftentimes you can find at the thrift stores, it's almost easier sometimes to find older, you know, used clothing, cotton, linen, you know, wool, sweaters that are better for the environment when you wash them. Mm. And then aside from the washing, just the production of 
you know, a lot of these clothes at the level that they're being produced and the amount that we're expected to buy, most of them end up in the landfill within a very short amount of time. And, you know, there's information about that online. There are more and more uh, wonderful uh, clothing companies that are trying to build uh, wardrobes that are that are sustainable, that are good for the earth, that are good for animals, that are good for the ocean. So maybe just look on find, uh, online to find out about some of that. Patagonia Company has a lot of information on their website about the impact of their own products on the planet. So that's interesting to see them taking ownership of, hey, wow, some of our micro uh, fleeces and such are doing damage. So how can we mitigate that damage? How can we avoid that damage? Hmm. So that's one, one resource is Patagonia. But in general, anytime you have a new, brand new product, there's going to be an impact on the climate, on the oceans, and in our atmosphere in terms of pollution, in terms of waste, because all those products are packaged and then they're transported and then they're put in stores that are heated and then they're packaged in bags when you take them home. And I think we just need to be aware of how clothing is becoming really a climate issue because of the number of things that are being produced and shipped all over the world. Mm. Really interesting. I'm finding this component of this discussion so important because I think these are the conversations that we really do need to have with kids. Here's one that I think will be would be one that would be on the table for kids and families to discuss. What about biking versus taking the car? Why and how does this help? Well, I mean, before I answer that, I'd want to kind of step back and say it doesn't, it's not always the best thing for everybody to bike. So yes, if you can bike, if you have a community with bike paths, if you have good bike infrastructure and that's safe, then yes, by all means, do your best to bike and do your best to make biking something that's fun and healthy. It's good for the climate. It's good for our communities. And it's good for kids themselves to actually move their bodies on the way to school. Mm-hmm. And, and there's actually a chapter about that in my, in my book about why biking actually raises their grades and their moods. Mm-hmm. So that's its own set of benefits. It's better for the air in your own town and it's better for you to get out there and kind of move your body. And it makes kids happy to be on bicycles if you have a place where it's safe to do that. Overall, aside from the personal benefits, there's also the benefit to our planet because obviously every time you get into a car and you start that engine up, you're going to be polluting the atmosphere. Now, a lot of people have or are trying to buy, you know, electric cars, and those are about half of the um, impact. There's still an impact, so people shouldn't think that, you know, getting an electric car necessarily means that they're not impacting because they, they're not actually spewing you know, pollution while they're driving. The, the pollution was spewed in the making of their car. So that's one important thing to remember is that even driving the electric cars has an impact in the fact that they were produced in the first place. Mm. It's, still, it's still better. But we want to really think about the kind of cradle-to-grave um, the, the pollution that each of our products is making from the beginning mm. to the end of its life cycle. Mm-hmm. Is, is what you're mentioning about getting kids uh, on bikes and, and obviously it's impacting our environment if we're not in cars. Is, is it 
the same reasoning behind why it's important in your book that you say we should have fewer screens and have more time outdoors or is it a little bit different well it's those are yeah those are related Mm -hmm. in that it's always good for children to be moving and they're not moving enough whether it's that they're that they're getting in cars or climbing from their from walking into the garage and then straight into the car and then climbing out and going straight to their seat at school they need to be moving more Mm -hmm. they need to be biking more they need to be jumping on trampolines or doing hopscotch so that's one whole set of concerns is just how much are children moving these days and there are a variety of things that kind of get in the way of that one is our car infrastructure but another is screens another is stranger danger So if we're afraid of sending our kids to the park or even out into our own front yards, like that's, that's new, you know, since I became a parent, when I was young, we were always in the front yards, we were always biking to the store. But now, I mean, I I wasn't comfortable with my own kids playing in the front yard. I, I live, I live in a small city here in Eugene, but it's, it's still, I wouldn't ever have left my kids alone, you know, under the age of, I don't know eight or eight or so mm-hmm. seven in the front yard by themselves because we're near university and we're near some busy roads so I really am not downplaying the importance of, of protecting our kids and and and, and the, <laughs> the the I'm not downplaying how big a deal stranger danger is mm-hmm. it's real and we need to do what's comfortable for us but if we're not letting our kids play outside then we're often letting them play in front of screens, which has a different set of dangers. It's not the same set of dangers, but in a lot of ways, I think it's easy to feel like they're safer inside our house and in front of a screen. And I think that's what I question in my book is it's a different set of dangers. There's there's screen addiction. There's the fact that they're sedentary, sometimes for hours at a time. And then there's been, there have been studies correlating when children are sedentary and in front of screens, adults too, this happens to most of us, they tend to eat more junk food. They tend to eat more. They just tend to eat more. So the idea that we're passive and that we're watching something or having, you know, being part of a game where we're not moving our body, that's really been found over and over to be increasingly dangerous for young people if they're doing it for hours at a time. And books like Richard Louv's, you know, Vitamin N, give some solutions for getting kids outside. And, you know, he's the one that wrote Last Child in the Woods, and he identified the concept of nature deficit disorder Mm. and really has documented with the help of a lot of doctors the impact that the sedentary lifestyle, this indoor lifestyle and the screen lifestyle is having on our kids. So he's another good resource. I would imagine that part of getting kids out into nature is also this feeling connected to your environment so much more and feeling like, how can we care about something that we're not in? You know, I, I remember being yes. out in the grass and looking at the animals and, you know, lying on the ground and looking at the clouds. I mean, how can we, how can we at all feel connected and feel like we want to do something about something when we're constantly, you know, inside or on a screen or you know, away from the very thing that we need to uh, be part of in order to solve a problem. Isn't that correct? Yes, absolutely. You're bringing up a beautiful point. We tend to act on behalf of the things that we care about. So not only is it really important to be outside just because it's good for us, it's good for our spirits, it's good for our family connection, it's good for our, our health. And it's, 
also really good for our understanding of how we depend on the natural world for our clean air. We depend on rivers to give us our water. We depend on glaciers to melt and feed those rivers. So it matters that the earth is heating. But it also, I think, allows children a, a deep sense of belonging on the earth when we give them time in nature. So I talk a lot about that in my book is not only is it important to go to parks, but it's important for us to be relaxed when we <laughs> go to parks. Mm. It's important for us to take off our shoes and to play as well mm -hmm. and to be part of immersing children in a, in a joyous experience in nature and listening to the birds and feeling a connection to birds. They're, they're pretty magical beings. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, they fly through the air and they sing. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's important to, to look up and see the leaves changing. That's a miracle in and of itself that you go from these sticks, you know, these branches that have nothing on them in the winter, and then the miracle of new life coming out of this bare wood. Mm. And gardening, it's the same thing. Children love to garden. Mm. They love to be part of seeing strawberries, mm -hmm. you know, the, or the first shoots of grass come up, mm. you know, when, when they plant a lawn. And that kind of interaction with the miracle of life itself and the gift of life and the generosity of the natural world is really important for children's sense of well-being on the planet and their sense of joy and care of the planet that sustains their lives. It would be amazing to to have that conversation with your kids and and couple it with uh, asking what are your what are your favorite colors on the trees and let's collect some of those leaves and what can we make from these leaves uh, it would be so neat to be able to um, talk about all these great things that you're talking about and these miracles and and ask about you know what might you want to plant and let's go to the store and, and and maybe get some seeds and and grow something or what kind of garden would you like to have because it feels like you know having that kinesthetic moment where they're you know using their hands they're part of something um, they're investigating what's on the ground or on the trees or it, it makes it so they have that connection and then they also have that knowledge you know all these kinds of conversations don't need to happen face to face when you're sitting on the bed or, you know, in the car uh, for as far as, you know, some of the more uh, serious conversations that we might have that that don't have a real kinesthetic component. But this really does. This has this physical part where you can just go outside and 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 point and pick and look and be really part of this incredible environment that we have. Isn't that right? Yes, yes. And I call that kind of the big yes, like having the, that relationship to the earth, which is our home. Let's garden it. Let's let's weed. Let's clean up after ourselves. Let's take care of the animals. Let's put out a hummingbird feeder. Let's plant butterfly bushes if we have a yard and let's support anything that that gives animals a good habitat and that allows forests to grow and really say yes to a clean you know, clean air, clean water, clean soil, and know what that looks like. Really show them what does that look like and let them jump in and be part of it. So we compost it with our kids. We still do. We recycle. We, when my son was little, he rescued worms from puddles, you know, that kind of 
love of other creatures and recognizing, oh, there's a need and I can actually help. I can take action. I can do something. Every time we camped, we, we left that campsite better than we found it. We picked up litter and the parks. But we also made sure that we modeled asking our representatives to also be good to be good stewards. So we're not only doing it in our own home and in our own community, we actually spend a lot of time showing our children how to write letters, how to write commentaries. We made protest signs for our front lawns and kids were part of that. Mm. We made civics a natural part of that stewardship of our planet and of our community. So I think that was also key, it was not just, not just lifestyle changes, but asking our representatives to be good stewards as well and showing them what that looked like and how to do it because it's fun. It's actually fun to learn how to, you know, testify to city council or fun to make postcards to send to your governor or mayor. Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of things that I think my book is about and why I wrote the book was because I wanted to help parents have ideas for how do we today or tomorrow, how do we jump in with kids and make this fun, make it connecting, how do we connect more to one another and connect with our communities and how do we protect everything that we love? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's great. And uh, with a hundred different ways to to do that, you certainly have a lot of different directions to go. Give us your top tip. What is it that you would love for us to come away with after listening to this podcast today? Your top tip to making sure that we are talking about climate change, doing something about climate change, um, and and making it part of our lives? I think the top tip is to know that we actually can make a big difference, that we have have this window of time right now when, you know, we have a window of time when we're told we can turn things around. And I think just knowing that there are things that we can do and that there is hope because often, you know, teenagers come to us feeling like, well, I've been told at school there's no hope. Ah. The biggest thing we need to know is that we can turn things around and there are people all over the world already doing that. And you don't have to do it alone. You can't do it alone. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can just join in things that are already happening because people are doing so much worldwide, whether it's in your local community or across the world, to turn things around, to slash our emissions, to plant new forests, and to change how we live on the planet. So I think the thing I want people to really understand is that it's an exciting time to be alive and it's an exciting time to be raising kids but to really help them understand that what's good for the climate, what's good for the planet is also good for them, for their health, Mm -hmm. for community health, for our economies. So to know that they're not alone, that we can do this together, and that we really have time to turn things around. Excellent. Give us the resource of the week. Where can people go to get more information about you, your book, and the great work you're doing? Well, they can come to my website, which is www.marydemacher.com, and I'll spell that for you. It's M-A-R-Y-D-E-M-O-C-K-E-R.com. And I've got some I've got some fun stuff on there. There's pictures of things that I've done with my kids and with local kids, some art, you know, art in action that we've done. 
and some resources from the book that people can use. I've updated all the websites because a book like this often goes, you know, out of, <laughs> gets to be outdated pretty quickly. So there's an updated list for all and live links and people can find that cartoon I was mentioning. Mm-hmm. Um, they can also check me out on Instagram and Facebook and connect with me more personally there. And you can find out about my tours on the calendar on my website. Excellent. I'll have all those links on the show notes as well. And I just want to thank you, Mary. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciated all your examples and your language so that we can have these really important conversations about climate change and also do something with our families that can create uh, lasting change as well. So thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com, twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'll be going back and forth with Mary, creating memes based on things that she said, some great quotes so that you can share them with your friends and your followers and get this conversation going in your world. And if you love this podcast, I'll hope you go up to iTunes and rate and review it. It makes such a difference. And I have to just thank those who've already done it. Thank you so very much for your beautiful reviews. If you will go up and rate and review the podcast and other people then can hear about these outstanding solutions and use them in their own homes, because the more that you rate and review, the more publicity the podcast gets. That's just how it works, folks. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. And I know if you heard something today and you said, oh, goodness, we're using the car too much or I haven't done these activities with the kids or I haven't had these conversations about climate change yet, you're here. You can start today. You can make a difference today. All is not lost. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I get it. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.